This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 223, about Jessica Jones, season 3, episode 1, aka The Perfect Burger. Welcome back, fellow Defenders. We are back on Defenders TV Podcast for our final series on Marvel's Defenders, Jessica Jones, Season 3, Episode 1, a.k.a. The Perfect Burger. Did I say burger right, John? Burger. <laughs> I think you'll find. I must admit, I am quite hungry after this episode. Mm, that does sound like a great burger. I am one of your hosts, Derek. Yes, a tasty burger indeed. What's <laughs> it? Uh, two parts something, one part something, one part something, with tons of grease and fat. So make sure to have the burger after strenuous activity indeed. Yes, I am one of your other hosts, John. Welcome back, fellow defenders. Good to have you back on board. Uh, we hope you enjoyed, if you did, make the crossover to TV Podcast Industries onto our Good Omens podcast, the six-part series on Amazon Prime. It was a hoot. It was a laugh. It was totally off kilter, and it talked about an angel and a demon coming together to prevent Armageddon. So absolutely uh, fabuloso, uh, great series. So uh, if you're going to check that out, please also check out the podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com. Yes, that was a weird one for us. Um, must be very odd for some of our defenders who just listened to the Defenders TV podcast and heard me constantly criticize humor and comedy movies, uh, and what we did over there was a six-episode comedy television series. Um, great fun. Check it out. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime, all six episodes of the actual TV show. And you can check out, as John said, the reviews of Good Omens over on tvpodcastindustries.com, where we will be putting up all of the episodes for our Jessica Jones coverage for Season 3. Um, we will eventually be shutting down Defenders TV Podcast, because Defenders TV Podcast was obviously set up for all of the Marvel Netflix TV shows. And this is our final one. There's only 13 episodes left this show uh, we will be covering obviously more marvel stuff after this finishes we've still got spider-man and um, far from home coming up later on this year as another movie coming up and we will hopefully have the disney plus stuff coming up towards the end of the year that hopefully will start uh, coming out with some marvel stuff we still don't know whether that's going to be international uh, as of yet but hopefully we're hearing, we're hearing good things and hopefully we're going to get that worldwide either late this year or early next year yes so remember catch defenders TV podcast over on TV podcast industries. That's mm-hmm. where our new home will be, uh, where we will look at all this lovely, marvelous, marvelific Marvel stuff. <laughs> right. Without, without further ado, let's get on to our discussion about Jessica Jones, season three, episode one, aka The Perfect Burger. Mmm, burgers. <laughs> yes, Derek, what are some of the episode details? Yeah, once again, this episode is written by Melissa Rosenberg. She is the showrunner for this uh, this show for since right back in season one of Jessica Jones, uh, and she wrote season two as well. She has written the first episode of each season and the last episode of each season. Interestingly, just in case you weren't aware of this, Melissa Rosenberg actually handed in her notice on this show way before any cancellation announcement for Jessica Jones. Before any of the Marvel Netflix shows were actually cancelled, Melissa Rosenberg had confirmed that season three was her final outing on Jessica Jones. Uh, we heard, heard that towards the end of season two of Jessica Jones. So uh, so regardless of whether it, the show had been cancelled or finished up at Netflix, Melissa Rosenberg was doing her last time on this show. Uh, we have got a, a quote from her, and, and we'll talk about that at the end of the episode instead of feedback. This episode is directed by Michael Lemon. This is the first time he's directed anything to do with Marvel, but he's done lots of TV work from Veronica Mars to True Blood and Dexter. Earlier in his career, though, he was a film director done some very interesting films in the past one i absolutely loved which was truth about cats and dogs with janine garofalo and uma Uma thurman really really good film ben chaplin i think was in that as well Uh, and he also did heathers wow fantastic 80s movie with christian slater and winona Ryder. really interesting career that he's had yeah good stuff i know he did airheads and hudson hawk in the 90s which weren't as popular as other films but when he's on form he does some great great movies yeah, Heathers and Truth About Cats and Dogs, two classics there for sure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really good to see what he brings to Jessica Jones, uh, the first episode of season three. Speaking of which, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. After her mother, Alyssa, was killed by a well-meaning Trish Walker, Jessica Jones is trying to live up to the hero tag that her mother gave her. 
When Dorothy Walker hires Jessica to find her missing daughter, she discovers that Trish is living her dream as a hero and wants Jessica to give up. Meanwhile, Malcolm Ducasse has a new job working as a fixer and sometime investigator for an ailing Jerry Hogarth and her high-end clients. While Jerry struggles with her ALS and how close she is to her end, Malcolm questions his choice to go into business with her. Also questioning her decisions, Jessica meets a carnivorous new friend, Eric, who wants to teach her how to make the perfect burger. It might not have been a euphemism when they met, but Jessica is more than hoping to seal the deal with Eric until a knock at her door from a masked assailant with a knife leads to Jessica bleeding out on the floor as Malcolm rushes to help. That's encapsulated the episode pretty well, hasn't it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think this is a really interesting episode. I actually, I'm not entirely sure it will be for everyone, but I actually kind of really like this, you know, private investigator kind of film noir slower pace for the opener. It really felt kind of nicely uh, film noir lethargic in in a sense <laughs> of, of how it paces through the investigation. Right. And all kind of crescendoing to this final scene. Um, yeah. And it, it was really nice. It kind of, in part, reminded me a bit of Pink Panther um, and, and, and all of that, certainly with Trish uh, donning her sort of cat burglar, or shall I say super cat burglar outfit. That is such a weird comparison. The Pink Panther, the comedy films from the 70s with Peter Sellers. Yeah, I, I, no, just more the sleuthing, uh-huh. the... The, the cat burglar element of Trish. Right. And I think just the general PI vibe and detective vibe from this. I, I just really, not the comedy, I don't think so mm-hmm. much, but um, I, I really uh, like this. Although I do think that Gillian, the new PA, um, certainly provided some great comedy moments there uh, in the first meeting of her uh, right at the start of this episode. I must yeah. say, I did laugh out uh, a lot here <laughs> yeah, with old Gillian and her relationship with, with uh, Jessica. Yeah, she's really good, isn't she? And I have to say, for me, I think this feels like the perfect Jessica Jones episode. I don't want this show to be like paint-by-numbers kind of thing, but when you're coming back after being off for a year, I think it was March last year when season two all dropped, so it's been quite a while since we've seen a, an episode of Jessica Jones. So when you come back, you kind of want to get back into Jessica Jones style quite quickly. And I think with this episode, we'll go through all of our top five case notes in a moment, but um, I think with this episode, it feels like the theme tune to the show it it has that slow kind of start where it's it feels like jessica's doing all the investigation and then it just builds up to the crescendo at the end you know you think it's going to end with sex but it actually ends in attempted murder effectively so it's kind of building all the way up to that towards the end just like the crescendo of that awesome theme tune great to hear that back as well yeah i think with that on to our first case note jessica jones on the beach um i have to say the contrast between the lovely sunny beach with palm trees, people in their swimming costumes Mm -hmm. and so on, uh, to Jessica with her leather jacket, jeans and leather boots. Uh, was really funny. It's um, great as well yeah. with the with the voiceover going. Sometimes some things just don't fit, and it is Jessica <laughs> on the beach. You think it's entirely possible this could have been Oscar and Jessica on holidays at the start of this episode, but you know that's not going to be the way it goes. It's not going to have Jessica in this happy uh, holiday mood at the beginning of the season. It would be a a very strange way to start. Yeah, it? definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, it's really nice that here Jessica is trying to you know follow through with being the hero Mm -hmm. that um, she always didn't want to be, but in memory of her mum, to try and keep that going. So she's conflicted a bit, but nonetheless, it's for the memory of her mum. And we see here um, her trying to really um, do the right thing, stay within the bounds of the law, I think, that we find out from Detective Costa a bit later on. But ultimately, um, racking up about 88,000 hits on YouTube uh, with the, this image of this father who has kidnapped his daughter uh, to take away f- um, and bring her out of the US to Mexico. And uh, yes, he doesn't want to get physical and lays his hand on Jessica. And of course, um, 
red rag to a bull here I absolutely think. absolutely yeah just throws him across the beach it's a really cool video that you have up on youtube and i love that we still have this relationship with Vito, the the kid of oscar upstairs um where he's absolutely in worship of jessica jones i think last season ended season two the last scene of it ended with jessica in the apartment telling stories of her heroic life uh, and i love when she comes back to the apartment and you have Vito, Vito going did you save the girl was she in danger and she goes well she was close to a sunburn <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of this, this great little moment. But we do get a little reference here to the Sokovia Accords once again from Detective Costa, where he says he's throwing her a few cases as long as she doesn't break the law because there are heroes that are registered to do that type of thing. And if she doesn't want to do it the way that he's telling her to do it, then she should leave it to someone that is a registered hero. So a nice little reference there to the old Sokovia Accords, which we've completely forgotten in all the years since uh, since Avengers Age of Ultron uh, and and Civil War. It seems to have just kind of disappeared in the Marvel Universe, the Marvel cinematic universe anyway but these are more grand level heroes who are much more tied into the normal day-to-day laws but i do love that jessica kind of throws it back in costa's face saying no no our deal wasn't that i didn't break the law our deal was that you don't catch me breaking the law yeah exactly (laughs) and of course she was in mexico so out of jurisdiction so to speak well maybe or maybe yeah Yeah. because it's a un-based sokovia accord Mm -hmm. but there's also the reference to captain america from the saved girl, mm-hmm. uh, where she goes, Captain America would never have done this, sort of giving <laughs> out to Jessica, because, well, she didn't want to leave Mexico, she didn't want to leave her dad, and she's now back with her mom, who also gives Jessica a good run for her money in the old verbal stakes until Jessica kind of pauses, thinks about turning around to presumably beat her up, yeah. and then this, uh, then the mother runs uh, back inside to to make sure she isn't at the um the wrong end of Jessica Jones. Yeah, absolutely. I have to say I like her slag that Jessica's like a third rate Joan Jet. So Joan Jet obviously <laughs> her music has been associated with the show quite a lot since the beginning, but I kind of like that it's a third rate Joan Jet. Not a second rate, not a first rate, a third rate yeah. <laughs> wannabe, you know. Uh, really really gets Jessica's back up. But I just say she's really trying to be a hero here. You see her kind of sitting down and thinking exactly what's best to do and really what it seems like her version of being a hero is helping out people that need to be helped and can't pay so kind of similar to matt murdoch um in season one of daredevil that you know effectively she's giving out her pi services now to people that can't pay everybody yeah. on this sliding scale of zero as she says yeah, <laughs> why don't they just say pro bono yeah um, absolutely but i do like her kind of oh i hate heroism uh you know mm-hmm why have I saved this girl who's giving out to me, the mother's giving out to me, the father gave out to me, and I've got to suck this all up? It's really classic Jessica Jones yeah. of, like, the world I hate and everyone in it. And I think that extends to uh, her new assistant, Jillian, who I just thought was, like, fantastic. As soon as she pours the whiskey, Jillian is there in my heart. I just love the fact that, you know, she's organizing the clients. She's organizing the cases. She's got a new sofa in bright orange sans fleas uh, so that, you know, she's kind of she's got the the phone that Jessica doesn't know how to use Hello. because there's too many buttons and it's far too complicated. Um and she pours Jessica the whiskey, you know, while speaking to her client, Matteo. Uh, and, of course, she has the new slogan for Alias Investigations. You've got a hero on your side. <laughs> I love that with Jessica going, I keep telling you not to say that. And Jillian <laughs> going, yeah, and I don't listen to you. Uh, this is another interesting one with Jessica having another assistant that works for her that she doesn't want anywhere near. Remember Malcolm all the way through season one and season two, she kept pushing him away and going, like, get, get away from me, you know, don't want your help from the point when he became clean and, and got off the drugs, basically. He has been hanging around her. Now he's no longer hanging around her anymore. She's got Jillian, another person that she doesn't want any Nearer. But I guess, as we find out a few times throughout this episode, Jessica's fame does kind of precede her a lot. A lot of people know exactly who she is yeah. because of all the things she's done and because she's super powered and because of this video going around on YouTube, of course. Um, they know who she is now. So she probably does need an assistant because people call up quite often. I think that's how season two ended with a lot of phone calls landing in her voicemail box from all these people that need a hero to come and help. So she's actually, even though we've lost Luke Cage and we've lost Danny Rand, we do actually have a hero for hire here, and it's Jessica Jones. Yeah, no, absolutely. The hero for hire mm-hmm. is still around. It's yes. Jessica Jones, yep. Um, on to case note number two. Jerry Hogarth is taking her final journey, yes. Uh, we have this really 
interesting sort of moment, a very mm. brief moment with Jerry, uh, where she's falling out of bed. Her legs can't support. It's this, the, the kind of progression of the ALS that she has. Yeah. And um, it, it's really interesting. You know, it's the first significant symptoms of ALS uh, as she falls out of bed. And she's considering these pills, these kind of killer pills that mm. will kill her ultimately. We saw her get them and source them um, in season two. And she's there pondering whether she needs to take them now, but ultimately uh, goes to Jessica Jones to be her go-to where Jessica Jones will slip her the pill and um, because she can make the tough choices and she has killed before. And, you know, there's a little bit of conflict here. Jessica's kind of goading her saying, yes, well, because I've killed before. And exactly. um, whereas, Hogarth is more about you can make the hard choices here. You can have that dispassionate view. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting thing here where we see, you know, Jerry really starting to um, consider and think about her own mortality, mm -hmm. uh, certainly with the ALS getting worse. Yeah, it's one of those things that didn't really carry over from season two for me because it's been such a long time since we watched and talked about season two of Jessica Jones. I kind of forgot how fragile jerry is now and um, she was very strong by the end of the season we saw her taking back her clients and creating her own business her own uh, out, out of uh, hogarth chow and benowitz she set up her own organization just hogarth on, on her own and we saw that kind of strength in her towards the end of the season so you kind of forget how you know how weak underneath it all she she is and how close she is to death really this is where this is the journey we're going to be getting for jerry as she realizes how close she is to death you know yeah. she's considering euthanasia and that moment with Jessica, I have to say, wonderfully played once again with Christian Ritter. She just can do these turns uh, in the way that she responds to a, a comment from somebody that only Christian Ritter can do. You know, this, this moment where Jerry says to her, you can make the hard decisions. You can tell Jessica's going, oh, great. Once again, you're just thinking of me as that murderer, the one that killed Kilgrave. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, we've been we've known each other for years. Now you're telling me I'm a friend. Oh, no, I'm not a friend. I'm just a person that can easily kill whoever wants to be killed. You know, it's just a lovely moment between the two of them. And you see how far Jessica pushes back against that. Oh, yeah. That kind of attitude. She's been working really hard, as, as we've said earlier on in the previous point, that she's been working really hard to get to this point of people considering her a hero. And even her friends don't consider her a hero. Even her friends are brandishing her with this brush that says, oh, well, you'll be able to kill me because... You don't really have a heart, like... Yeah, you know? absolutely. Do you want this brandy that she pours with ice or not? And then mm -hmm. how many pills? Too many, and it spoils your your journey. Yeah. Uh, go, you go too quick. Too few, you might throw up, and it might not work. Yeah. So what what do I do here? And, you know, really pushes that home. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. And we see Jerry beginning to, as I say, think about maybe how she will be remembered mm -hmm. and what she wants to do with her money um, and so on. And we, we get a little glimpse back into, uh, you know, a former lover here at uh, a string quartet uh, and this um, charity foundation, mm -hmm. the Zoe Leon Art Scholarship, which Jerry has been supporting for uh, a long time, but she's never attended the event because mm -hmm. um, it is run by one of her ex-lovers whose heart she broke yeah we can we, we hear here that it's been 25 years since jerry has has met kith before and kith's now married with her husband peter uh, i love that peter knows exactly who jerry is i love that they have that relationship between the two of them that he's fully aware that there was a relationship between kith and and uh and jerry all those years ago and that She's the great love that got away, effectively. And, you know, Peter even comments on it, kind of going, oh, I'm so glad you broke her heart that many years ago, because it's good for me. That's how we yeah, got together. You know? uh, but he also knows everything about, about Jerry as well. He knows that she has defended loads of vigilantes, that she's created this kind of niche business, that she defends vigilantes and defends super people and kind of almost is saying to her, I'd like to get into that business and pick your brain at some point. Uh, Jerry responds that she's only defended a few. It's kind of the way she says it, but just trying to count, recount the ones that she's defended. We know she's obviously defended Jessica multiple times. She has defended Luke Cage and she worked for Rand Industries. So she, I guess she must have defended Danny once at least. I know that yeah. she's appeared in the show and, and obviously has a connection with Danny in the comic books as well. But She certainly got him out of trouble with mm -hmm. the police or some authority yeah. um, not necessarily maybe going 
into a court, but certainly, yeah, as the lawyer on retainer mm-hmm. has been able to pull those strings and so on, for yeah. sure. I mean, no, she didn't actually defend Frank Castle because that was Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson, and she hasn't defended Matt Murdock, but Foggy Nelson works for Hogarth and he's the one that defended Luke Cage so and got him out of prison. So uh, so we know there's lots of connections there with the the vigilantes that she's worked with. But a nice little call out there to connect, connect all these shows in the last season. Well. Yeah, there's a really nice conversation as well here with Jerry and Malcolm as well. And I think that moves us on to case note number three, which is Malcolm's new job. Mm-hmm. Because I love the fact that he's kind of whinging to Jerry that you know he thought he was going to be an investigator for um, her new law practice and in the end uh, he's kind of ending up being more of a fixer for her high-end clients here and i love how jerry is quite dismissive in that you know you do a good job here um malcolm but we've had this conversation before work it out i need both i need an investigator and a fixer and work it out whether you are happy with that but don't bring it up to me again uh, because you need to figure out whether you're happy in this job. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought that was really nice. I mean, again, I think it's, you know, Jerry with her illness and um, maybe just like, I haven't got time for this anymore. It, it is, you know, she's just spoken about uh, one of her uh, other employees who is saying, she will have her name on this door exactly. very soon. And I yeah. think Malcolm is seeing her as well, uh, you know? So, Again, Jerry's whole being here, I think, is very much on the future and how to leave her past and legacy, in a sense. So it's a really interesting thing. But Malcolm's new job, certainly, how should we describe it? He is doing God's work um, Mm. in a snazzy suit. Um, It's good work, or is it effective work? It's terrible work. It's Absolutely dreadful terrible work. work. Yeah, yeah exactly. He, he seems to be protecting his high-end clients, I suppose. So we see a little bit here in the in the description of his job, obviously, is, is with this uh, character of Cody Willamette, uh, the drunken baseball player, who he's seen crash three times. So multiple times probably before that. But three times Malcolm has been involved in either paying off or sorting out at least the people who've been involved in these accidents caused by Cody. Yeah. Uh, to the point where he's just losing it. You know, at the end of season three, two um malcolm wasn't working for hogarth he was working for chang who'd been approaching him throughout the season trying to get him over from jessica's practice he eventually moved to work for chang and now he's working directly for hogarth it seems Uh, he's moved from this organization and moved directly underneath hogarth Uh, an interesting choice you know he he had wanted to work for Hogarth and she said he wasn't tough enough. She, she needed someone like Jessica. So that seems to be playing out a little bit here that even though he's working directly for Hogarth, she's still not completely sure he's the right person because she needs someone that has the kind of moral grays that Jessica has. And Malcolm doesn't feel like he's that kind of person. We see as the episode goes on, we see that he's following Cody so that he can prevent maybe the next accident. And then he causes the next accident. He effectively gives Cody a career-ending injury. So yeah. possibly career-ending injury. So he's definitely out for the rest of the year, but we don't know whether it's going to be out forever kind of thing. But he's certainly tried to take him out so that he doesn't have to deal with this crap anymore, basically. Yeah, and I I, I think he has answered uh, Jerry there in, um, in a quite extreme way by causing that accident with Cody after seeing Cody get into his car drunk. I think that his girlfriend who's with him won't get into the car mm-hmm. with him. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, Malcolm certainly has upgraded, maybe not so much his job in his own mind, but certainly the apartment. He's moved apartments into yeah. a bigger apartment. Uh, and his lifestyle, you know, the snazzy suits, he's now dating with seemingly the next partner uh, of Jerry's practice. Mm-hmm. Um who seems to be really successful. You know, he's got the party going on, uh, all this kind of stuff. And yet there's something the uh, gnawing at him that he's not happy with. And it seems all based around the type of fixing work that he's got to do. Effectively yeah. getting people who probably should be being sued through court or arrested by the police, getting them off uh, that um that justice or or that consequence by writing different notes. I mean, the the first crash we see with Cody and this other guy, he effectively hands the car over to the other guy who can then go and sell it Mm -hmm. at this junkyard if he just mentions his name and 
gets the guy to sign away any right um, and non-disclosure to further pursuing this baseball player. Yeah, it feels a little bit like a uh, like an enforcer for the mob is the way that Malcolm's gone with it this. It does, doesn't it? You know, the, originally it's this whole idea that he just gets the piece of paper signed off, gives the guy a car, and, and then just walks away from the situation. This time it's like, I can't do this anymore. Cody's gone too far. I'm going to take him out. So yeah. that's pretty... That's pretty drastic as how far he's gone. I, I don't know what, how it's going to play out in the next couple of episodes, whether Jerry will find out or whether he'll tell her or will he break down and, and tell anybody about it, you know, because this is not what Jerry wants. Jerry wants somebody to fix this stuff. She doesn't want her clients taken out by car crashes. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's a really nice reconnect with Malcolm, to be honest, because mm-hmm. right? my, my overriding impression from season two was that we didn't really... Uh, have that connection with him and maybe that was because he was falling out with jessica and and that relationship was so difficult you there was a distance there it feels like you're reconnecting with him a bit like with all the uh uh, characters in in this show Mm -hmm. uh in this episode um as i say i think this the slower pace of this for the opener this reconnect it, it has been really quite nice it feels like coming back to the Jessica Jones world mm-hmm. and family. So I, I really enjoyed that, to be honest. Absolutely. Speaking of family and other members of the Jessica Jones world, <laughs> that's going to case now for uh, on Trisha's trail. So we have the arrival of the wonderful Dorothy Walker uh, at Jessica Jones's door early in the morning or late afternoon. I'm not really too sure with Jessica. I know she's in bed after going out drinking the previous night, but that could be two o'clock in the afternoon with Jessica. Um, but at this Absolutely. moment is so well played. I love Rebecca de Mornay and uh, Kristen Ritter's interplay between the two of them as Dorothy knocks on the door, trying to get Jessica to go and find her daughter, Trish, who's been missing for 24 hours. Um, but I love as, as Jessica opens the door, sees it's her, closes the door in her face. Then she hears that Trish is missing, closes the door in her face again. You know, she wants to hire her, closes the door in her face multiple times, laughing at this idea that Dorothy actually thinks Jessica wants to be involved in Trish's life again. You know, Trish took a gun and shot Jessica's mother in the head in the final episode of last season. Their relationship is split. But we know as the audience, we know that Jessica has been watching the TV show, catching up on and keeping tabs on Trish, basically, catching up and, and making sure that she knows what's going on in Trish's life as much as possible. We do hear later on in the episode that Dorothy tells Jessica that Trish has moved house. And Jessica wasn't aware of that. Jessica wasn't aware that she'd sold everything up and moved into a new place. So uh, so while she is keeping tabs on her, she's not really involved in her private life anymore. No, absolutely. I, I mean, you, you have to say the the strained love-hate relationship between Dorothy Walker and Jessica Jones is just pure acidic magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love that it's played for comedy, but also for absolute sincerity as mm-hmm. well. You know, there are moments here when uh, Dorothy uh, turns up at Jessica's door uh, and, you know, there is that moment where she says, the best thing about you was Trish. Um, and you see the hurt as Jessica effectively throws Dorothy out. You know, the acidic tongue of Dorothy Walker and how much it penetrates that iron-skinned armour of Jessica Jones. Yeah, it's just that thing, that person that's closest to you is the one that can always cut you to the bone, right? Because obviously Jessica lived with Trish and Dorothy for years, and, and Dorothy was a very abusive parent, as we've learned over the years, very verbally abusive to both Trish and Jessica, but Jessica always protected Trish from that. But we see this here. It's not just that she says Trish was the best thing about you. It says Trish is the only good thing about you. A real throw it under the bus kind of thing, you know? Uh, We do have a little bit of a payoff for it later on in the episode, but uh, Jessica does look like she is completely broken by this. This idea that her former family have all turned their back on her, basically. Yes, when she's needed, Dorothy will go straight to Jessica and make her look for Trish, you know? Absolutely. I I think as well, it's the other side of it as well. You know, the, the jealousy of Dorothy Walker saying you know, you had something special with Trish that I never had, and mm-hmm. I was always jealous of that. And and so it really does give for a, an amazingly kind of nuanced and a great performance and relationship between these two. You know, and then it comes down to, you know, Jessica saying, you're a boil on humanity's ass, as usual, <laughs> because you've had from uh, Dorothy, you're late, as usual. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, as I say... 
this uh, moves across so many different levels and is so so uh, done this twisted relationship uh, i really really like it but i think the other thing is despite this massive rift between jessica and trish yes jessica still you know has her arm twisted to help dorothy to mm-hmm. look for trish well, exactly. Dorothy still has that way with Jessica to kind of convince her to do the right thing and, and go after Trish, you know. Um, they go and see Trish's new place. I love this investigative side of Jessica that comes out as she goes through everything in the apartment and realizes and describes it as a hideout. It's like the, her superhero hideout, effectively. She's got all the books that she's been using to train her, train her mind. She's got all the equipment she's been using to train her body. Um, and Jessica works out that you know, the fact that she's traded in her double bed, her beautiful double bed for this futon means that she doesn't want anybody <laughs> yeah. to get close because she's on a mission. She's got something going on. Jessica tracks, tracks her down to a hotel where she's been on a stakeout. As she walks in, she realizes this is a place where she must have spent a lot of time over the last few weeks staying there and looking at a suspect, you know. So I love that Jessica just sits there. That's exactly what you're talking about, John, with the pacing of the Jessica Jones show is so different to all of the other shows that we watch and the ones that we talk about because she's a PI. And as the voiceover says, I could just sit here for days waiting to have confirmation that I'm doing the right thing or not. Yeah, that stakeout is really, really nicely done. And then, you know, Trish is, is spotted there and Trish ultimately has got skills um, dare I say it, skills on toast. Um, it's just really nice that Jessica is there trying to save Trish. Trish has planned this out, so is doing mm-hmm. what she wants to do, what she expects to do. Um, and ultimately, the guy that she, Trish has been uh, staking out um, gets away with this statue that links him to something else that she's investigating. Um, and you see Trish coming back at, at Jessica uh, a- after the the whole event in this guy's apartment has, has, has finished, where, you know, I want to be the hero. You never did want to be the hero. Yeah. Um, so you don't have to be the hero now because I'm going to be the hero. I'm going to do all this work. I want this to happen. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it's really nice. Um, you have Jessica sort of being off the cuff saying, well, what are you, a cat burglar before that? Mm-hmm. Or a super cat burglar? But Trisha's like, no, I want to do what you had thrust upon you and which you never wanted. Yeah. Um, and now I've got the chance to do it because of the the failed experiment that was done and she's got her skills you know we see some nice backflips here trying to escape the grip of jessica jones and we see her jump from what the third or fourth floor uh, window mm-hmm. down onto the street below uh, and seemingly being all right uh, after that drop although mm-hmm. uh, you did notice that she did seem to be the best as she walked across the road she's not the greatest of runners <laughs> in the world um, i'm not too sure whether that's the actress rachel taylor or whether that was supposed to be that she made this jump pretending like she was this great superhero and landed and kind of twisted her ankle a little bit <laughs> i'm not too sure whether that was the case or not i'll have to check it out and just see what happens in the next episode maybe she does have superpowers maybe this is just the Krav Maga that allowed her to do that backflip with Jessica but it's supposed to indicate that she does have uh, these superpowers that were given to her in in the last season yes certainly that uh, run across the road didn't have the grace or poise of a cat it didn't really obviously really need to point out here (laughs) the whole idea of the cat burglar in the comic book she is called hell cat that is the little connection between the two things right so uh, so obviously that's part of it uh, one other thing that i think is important to call out about this argument that they that they have between trish and jessica i think you yourself and chris used to talk about this quite a lot and you, you weren't huge fans of trish in season one and season two in fact in season two both of you called out the fact that every time she tried to help or she tried to save people it all went wrong. And what's happening here is Trish has set up a plan for once and done the right thing. She's trying to encourage this guy to to break into his safe, get his gun so that she can find this weapon that will connect this guy to an assault that he committed. And this entire plan is broken by Jessica interfering in a plan she doesn't know anything yeah. about, just like Trish used to do. Yeah, so it seems like true, Trish actually. has grown yeah. a little bit here and, and she's become the hero that she wanted to but because jessica didn't wait and didn't watch and didn't consult with trish effectively on what she was doing she broke the whole thing up yeah i mean i think for jessica the relationship even though it's changed is still very much i'm the hero Mm -hmm. 
Trish is my sister who needs my protection and help. Yeah. And so therefore, she just sees Trish as being in danger. Exactly. Whereas in fact, yes, she has changed considerably. Mm-hmm. She, as she says, she is the one that is being the detective, the hero, yeah. because she wants to do this, uh, not because it's been thrust upon her. So it's a really nice moment, uh, and it's great to have these two connect, at li- you know, even though there is that tension yeah. and struggle between the two. Absolutely. Like, as Trish says to Jess, you know, I don't need you anymore. No one needs you anymore. You can now take a back seat, go and do whatever the hell you want to. You've always said you don't want to be a hero. I'm, I'm here. I've got it, you know, kind of thing. I love Jessica throwing it back in her face, though, a little bit by saying, but you're not bulletproof. And you had that guy going to get his gun. You're not bulletproof. What a stupid plan that was, you know? So she's still not the greatest in the world at at making all these plans. But as I say, I like that it's Jessica messing up Trish's plan as opposed to Trish messing up other people's plans for once, because that doesn't happen very often. So Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But let's get on to our final case now. Case note number five, the title of the episode, a.k.a. The Perfect Burger. Yes, the perfect burger. Um, we have Eric here, a new guy um, at the bar. Seems to be a pretty good fit for Jessica here. I, I love, I, I love yeah. the fact that they are taking bets on some frat boys downing shots. And um, Eric seems to have, you know, the eye for idiocy. Uh, <laughs> so he knows and or he wins the bet of who is effectively going to cut their hand first from mm-hmm. smashing down the shot glasses uh, too hard because they kind of know that the glass isn't maybe the best quality. They, you know, these frat boys think they're in a, um, I don't know, some kind of Western or something where <laughs> they're, they're chucking down the, the shot glasses after knocking it back. And of course, Eric wins, uh, Jessica loses. And uh, I, I do kind of like the the sort of back and forth between these two i think yeah they seem like a good good fit they really do don't they too good a fit that's always my question we're on episode well, one and maybe a, a brand new character that's walked into the bar where jessica's sitting and he happens to have all of the personality that jessica loves things like you know he says to her optimism is a lie expect the worst you know that's almost something that would come exactly from jessica's lips you know um did he place himself there to connect himself with Jessica? Is there something something there? You know, I love that he has this conversation with her about the crap burger that she's eating. <laughs> and she's like, it's meat in a bun, hence a burger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he goes, uh, it, no, it's a, doesn't he call it a turd burger or something? Or it looks like a turd. He says, enjoy your turd. As he's yeah, leaving. exactly. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you have this turd burger and he goes, right woman, wrong burger, and offers to cook her the best burger. Two parts chuck, one part rib steak, uh, and one part flank or something like that. Uh, so off they, they head back to uh, Jessica's. And of course, there is a bet uh, here on this, a $50 bet that she will absolutely fall in love with his burger. Mm-hmm. Um, I must admit, I, my mouth was watering, as I said earlier on. I was going to write down the recipe for this uh, for this burger because I want to make one. It sounds amazing. This uh, a buttered brioche bun as well. Sounds, mm, sounds so good. Mm. But yes, it wasn't a euphemism when he said. He was actually talking about making a burger, but I love the conversation between the two of them as they get home and, and Jessica kind of goes... Yeah, nobody really wants to have sex after a pound of meat, do they? Um, maybe we should have sex now and then have the burger afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Jessica always has that uh, that love for immediacy with a partner, doesn't she? She always wants to go straight away with the partner. Yeah, absolutely. And it, But they are rudely interrupted by, well, we think it's Vito at mm-hmm. the time, and we're by this consistent knocking at the door. And so Jessica, you know, gets up to find out who it is, uh, and basically tell Vito to get back downstairs and go back into his apartment. Um, yeah, and does this explain why Jessica's not with Oscar anymore? Because his wife, his ex-wife, is back on the scene again, still having arguments with uh, with each other or between each other over Vito. I think, did Jessica just kind of go, oh, I can't be involved in this I anymore? I think so. Yeah. I, I think she probably just did a massive sigh and went... Oh, I cannot yeah. deal or be bothered with the effort that this may have. So, yeah, I think that probably explains why Oscar isn't on the radar here. Mm-hmm. And we've only seen Vito in, in this episode. But it's not Vito either. Instead, it is a man in black, a mass man in black, who just immediately knifes um, Jessica mm-hmm. in, in the side. Um, she does manage to kind of knock him over and push him down the corridor. And ultimately... 
as she goes after him, she gets woozy and stumbles over and falls in the corridor. Mm. But the guy gets away, runs away. I was wondering whether he was going to come back to, I don't know, do something else. But maybe he's interrupted or disturbed because Malcolm um, is coming out of his new apartment. Mm. But I do think he was just... I've stabbed her, and now he's getting away. Yeah. Um, but Malcolm is there to hand. Um, Eric seeming, seemingly is cooking his burger, I would I would suspect. But uh, Malcolm is there uh, calling for the ambulance uh, and trying to stop the bleeding. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a huge amount of time that passes. I'm presuming Eric is going to come out of the come out of her apartment pretty quickly as well. But I do like that it's the shot from overhead as Malcolm is holding her in his arms and getting his phone out to call 911 and call the emergency room to come and pick her up. You know, it all happens in an instant. And Jessica's not exactly the kind of person that's going to scream out, even if she has just been stabbed. You know, we hear her final words for the episode are sometimes, you know, exactly what to do. It's get the bad guy. And that's all she's focused on. It's not calling out to Eric to call the cops or call an ambulance. She feels like she's going to be okay here. But she's looking at this guy going, kind of picking out every detail she can in case she's going to be able to find him in the future, you know. But as I said, I do wonder, Eric's back in her apartment, in her office right now. How did this guy know that Jessica was going to be there to stab her? Is Eric involved somehow? Who knows? I mean, it's a really nice ending. As I say, it kind of crescendos to this just shocking ending. You don't expect Jessica to get stabbed. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be Vito now, I have to say. Yeah. I was wondering, would it be Trish or someone like that? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, would it be sort of some random shock? And it certainly was. And that, that was nice uh, for me. I thought yeah. it really ended on uh, this intrigue of who's the guy in black, the masked guy in black. Um and uh, presumably, you know, the the main bad here or someone connected to him. We mm-hmm. don't know. But I, I liked this. I, I liked how it all played out. And I thought the ending was really spot on. Excellent. Excellent. Not a huge amount of notes for this first episode. We're watching it the day release. Um, hopefully we'll get some more notes as we as we go in through the episodes. John, you already mentioned uh, Captain America's call out uh, yeah. in this episode. We ha- I think we've mentioned it on previous episodes before. There is a kind of relationship there between Captain America and Jessica. Um, they, they appeared together in the first issue of Alias uh, when Jessica Jones is approached by Captain America to try and encourage her to be a better superhero and she curses in front of him she tells him to f off basically and so and so I do like this idea of using Captain America to kind of beat Jessica Jones with the idea that she's not a real hero because heroes don't act like that yeah absolutely. so I think it's just a little reference it's not not called out specifically but it's just a little reference to that idea of putting Jessica Jones beside someone like Steve Rogers they're two very different people on two completely opposite ends of the scale but Steve Rogers does like Jessica Jones, but just wants her to kind of clean up her act a bit. So I like that being called out by the kid, saying Captain America wouldn't do something absolutely, like that. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We also have Whiskey Watch as well. Yay, back for the third season. Absolutely. Gillian uh, pouring a Michter's uh, whiskey, an American bourbon, um, poured into the glass there. Notice a, a few of the bottles up on the shelf in preparation for... Uh, Jessica raking through them at yep. a rate of knots. Um, so she's a good secretary, she a, good, a good personal is, assistant, yeah. Fill, um, filling up the shelf with five <laughs> bottles of nectars. You know, and weirdly, this is the same brand of whiskey that Kilgrave offered to Jessica back in season two. I think it was episode eleven mm-hmm. uh, when she was drinking. So yeah, really interesting, and it, and it kind of comes to that opening line uh, of this episode where Jessica goes. Some things look perfect when they're not. Yeah. And maybe Gillian's a little too perfect. Maybe that's the eyes and ears of the guy in black. Or, like, Eric is too perfect, and maybe he's the eyes and ears of that guy in black. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I wonder if that's kind of some kind of tagline for um, for this season for, for Jessica. You know, things aren't perfect with Trish. They never have been with Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Um, with Jerry, they're not. And even with Malcolm, you know, there's that kind of politeness there because of what they went through and the division that they had in season two. Uh, and maybe some of these things that look too good to be true, like Gillian, maybe Eric, are the ones that we have to just keep an eye on. Maybe, maybe. But always keep your eye on everybody on a show like this, I suppose. John... Let's get on to our defense for this episode. Is this your perfect burger or is there something out of place here for you? Do you defend 
Jessica Jones, Season 3, Episode 1, a.k.a. The Perfect Burger. I do defend this episode. Um, I give this three and a half Super Cat Burglars, or Super Cat Burgers, maybe, uh, out of five. Interesting. Yeah, I really like this. Um, I, I think it's, you know, it's an opener, and I think it's really um, a lot of stuff kind of broke apart in Season 2 with the death of jessica's mom uh and and just how season two played out and i kind of quite like this slower pace um pi sort of vibe to jessica that's mm-hmm. who she is she is a pi she investigates and we got investigation here we got her interacting with malcolm it was great to uh, see malcolm's new job it was great to see uh, jerry uh, struggling with her health issues and, and trying to just make some kind of sense of what she's going to leave for for everyone. Mm. And also the, the connection with Dorothy and uh, Trish. So for me, this was a lot of personal relationships and mm-hmm. connections that Jessica was reconnecting to in this opener. A little bit of a slower pace, but ultimately, you know, built and built and built to this mystery stabbing by this mystery guy running away. I think with Eric and Gillian, they seem to really interesting characters and mm-hmm. I really like their vibe here. So I, I, I felt this was coming a bit back to basics and I really like that for, for Jessica Jones. So I do defend this. Yeah, I give it three and a half um, super cat burglars out of five. <laughs> good stuff Derek do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones you forgot how we did this I think I did yes <laughs> um, I do defend this episode definitely uh, I think we had our problems all of us towards the end of season uh, two we were running out of our top five points because they kept kind of repeating the same points a couple of times um, there's enough going on in this episode while it is a slower pace there's enough going on that I'm intrigued. I'm interested with what, what's going on. I like the idea that Jessica is getting stuff thrown towards her from a detective on the police force. I like the idea that, that there's loads of things and loads of jobs coming in for Jessica of all different types, from kids being kidnapped to people trying to leave, uh, leave their gangs to, um, to girlfriends who are trying to get rid of their, their partners. Loads of different stuff, because back in season one, it was all about Jessica going... All I ever do is just follow people that are cheating on their husbands and wives, and that's it. That's all I ever do. So I like there's a bit of a change, a little progression in the world of Jessica Jones. But I like that it's still our Jessica Jones at the center of it, and that comes out quite solidly in this episode. We see that she's still no happier than she was in the past. She's no more well-adjusted to the world than she was in the past, and now she has this extra idea hanging over from her mother saying that she needs to be a hero, and she doesn't know what that means. She doesn't know how to get to that point. And when she tries... All she gets is Trish, who has taken on the role of hero and even calls herself a hero in this episode. You hear Trish, her best friend, going, stay out of it. You you yeah. can't be a hero. Yeah. So I like that we've got this progression of the character. It is a bit of a slow burn, but that's just the pacing of Jessica Jones, which I loved so much in season one and most of season two. So I'm looking forward to spending more time with this character as we go in through the rest of the season. Yeah, good stuff. Um, we have no feedback on this episode, but mm-hmm. uh, we do want to just bring the comments of the showrunner, Melissa Rosenberg, uh, who was interviewed about this final season by Entertainment Tonight. Um, and she said, realizing it was the last of the Netflix Marvel relationship, it was really serendipitous for all of us. It's a good time to bring this particular story to a close. So we were really able to craft an ending, a satisfying ending, and really feel like these three seasons are three acts of a book or a play. The season will tell a really rich, complete story. There you go. That's what you want to hear, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as, as I mentioned up, up front, uh, Melissa Rosenberg was always going to be leaving at the end of season three. So it's nice that she has this concept of what, what way she wants to take it this season. So uh, so hopefully we'll we'll get a good season out of it this time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, just on this, uh, Michael Walling said, so basically Jessica Jones will have a more solid ending than Iron Fist. And Donald Dennis also um, commented and said, and a more solid beginning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? With, with all of the other shows, none of them have known that they were ending. Not even Daredevil, which after the cancellation of Iron Fist and uh, Luke Cage you would expect that they would have a, an idea that it was going to end, but apparently all of the cast were taken unawares by the idea that, that that could be the last show they ever did. So they made a story out of it. They made a third season that could be the end, but didn't necessarily 
have an ending to it. Whereas this time, as Melissa Rosenberg is saying, they knew they were able to craft a final episode, which ended the story of Jessica Jones at Alias Investigation. So kind of a bit more exciting to see that. Uh, John Higley commented that Iron Fist redeemed itself in the second season, and I'm fine with it ending open. There was enough closure for me in, in that season to be okay with leaving the rest to the imagination. Daredevil ended well, and the third season was incredibly strong. Punisher didn't set up anything new. Luke Cage is the only one that really begged for a third season. I'm excited to see what they do with the properly planned final season on Jessica Jones. Most of the others kind of luckily fell into place, aside from Luke Cage. That's just a tease that we don't see where that character progression goes. So sad to see it end hopefully it'll end well i totally agree with you john yeah that's that's kind of pretty much exactly my opinion written into into this comment um luke cage just had a perfect cliffhanger ending for that show to see what's going to happen with that character in the future i would love to have seen a season three of luke cage it's probably my favorite of all of the defender series is is the second season of of luke cage is definitely up there in in the tops for me and i would have loved to seen how they would have continued the story yeah no i'm i'm right on board uh with you on that uh for sure i think luke cage is the one where it was actually setting up where they wanted it to go Mm -hmm. and, and to really kind of uh, complete the character yeah. uh, and it is such a shame that uh, it didn't while i did love the end of iron fist it felt like they were throwing the dice and kind of going this is all the cool stuff that we could tell if we get a third season it didn't it didn't feel like it was saying we will get a third season whereas there was a lot of confidence to luke cage and how it ended in the fact that it could get a third season and if it does here's our great cliffhanger that we're going to bring Luke Cage into the kind of boss level, which is, which is very cool. Thanks so much for all that feedback. Hopefully we're going to get lots of feedback this season on Jessica Jones. If you want to join us over on our Facebook group, you can join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Defenders TV podcast. We want to hear from you as well. We want to hear your voice in the podcast. So you can go over to our website at defenderstvpodcast.com or tvpodcastindustries.com and leave a voicemail for us about any of the episodes of the show. Just mark which episode it is. Yeah, and also you can send email through on feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Mm-hmm. Come and join us over on Twitter at DefendersCast. Uh, and of course, please subscribe, uh, reviewers and raters on any good or evil podcast catcher. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. Please share the podcast to share the love. Absolutely. We'll be back with our review of Jessica Jones Season 3, Episode 2, a.k.a. You're welcome. Later on this week, as we said, we didn't get these episodes in advance, so we're going to be a little bit longer uh, on Jessica Jones than we normally would be. We don't have any episodes in the bag at the moment. We'll have a, we'll have a few, uh, t- few times to record over the next week or so, and hopefully we'll get at least two out a week as we go. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us again for the final season of Jessica Jones. Yeah, thank you so much, fellow Defenders, for joining us. As always, it is a pleasure. Thanks for calling. You've got Podcast Heroes on your side now. And when we're back, we'll speak with you again soon. Bye. Bye.